So I find a lot of irony in that uh, scripture reading because last Sunday morning I was saying the very same thing. I wanted to get well. I woke up on Saturday morning and my fever was uh, about right near 101. I'd been feeling sick for a couple of days and I thought I'd be ready to go by, by Sunday. And so uh, on Sunday morning, on Saturday morning with my fever, realized I, I wasn't good to go. So I called Wilson and I said, um, is there any way you could preach for me on Sunday? And, and I just got to tell you, uh, this is the third time in, in my preaching um, with Wilson that I've asked him kind of at a, the last minute to preach. And he was kind enough to say, yes, I've heard wonderful things about his sermon last week. Uh, and if you thought it was good last week, you just give him about two weeks to figure. I mean, it would really be, really be good then. But, uh, but I really appreciate uh, him, him doing that. If you're a guest today, either online or in person, we're just so glad that you've, uh, you've tuned in and you're with us today. Would love to have an opportunity to get to know you a little better. I'll be in the foyer right by the sign that says Next Steps. And I would love to meet with you after our service and tell you a little bit more about College Hills. Uh, this uh, Sunday morning, we have some very special uh, friends of mine who are here. Uh, John, uh, or brother Brian Magnuson and Carol, they're sitting to my left. Would y'all your, raise your hands up? They're with us today. So glad they're, they're here. Um, Brian preaches at the Vaughn Hill Church of Christ in the St. Louis area. And I probably talk to Brian at least every week. And he's a guy that I commiserate with. Uh, I kid a lot and say, if you ever hear me preach a sermon that's especially good, um, Brian probably had something to do with that because I, I talk to him all the time about what I'm going to preach and we kind of critique each other's sermons and he's just a very special friend and I'm so glad that, uh, that he is here today. You know, you'll travel a long way to hear some good preaching, so thank you, Brian, for, uh, for coming today and, uh, and being with us. But I appreciate all of you uh, for being with us today. We're in this message series called Life-Changing Conversations with Jesus. And today I want to begin by telling you a story about a woman whose name was Auburn. Auburn was a 29-year-old lady. Uh, she had a three-year-old son. Uh, she was in a bad marriage. She was struggling with addiction. And one night her husband was gone. He had, he had gone to to find some drugs that both of their bodies were crying out for, and Auburn found herself on the floor in this dirty little apartment curled up. And she said to herself, she knew down the hall my three-year-old son was sleeping, and the thought of him, the thought of losing him, was, was what probably drew her to her senses. And so there she was in pain, worried, nervous, drug addicted, and she remembered a conversation she had with her mother some months ago. She didn't often talk with her mother, but she remembered this conversation and she remembered a piece of paper that her mother had handed her. She'd handed her a piece of paper with a phone number on it. And the mom said, I really hope one of these days when you're ready, you'll call that number. It's, it's a Christian counselor. And I, and I just have this sense that he might be able to help you. And so at two in the morning, she takes the phone and she punches in the numbers. And on the other end 
the man, very groggy, said, hello? And she said to him, my mother gave you, gave me your phone number some weeks ago, and she said you might be able to help. Can I, can I talk to you? And he paused for a moment, and he could tell the pain in her voice. And he said, sure. And they began a conversation. And she began describing her life to him. She talked about how that she was experiencing an addiction. She described how she was in an abusive relationship. How she was worried about, about losing her three-year-old son. And, and she, as she talked to him, he didn't say a lot. He said, I, I understand. He said things like, that must be difficult. He said, would you tell me more? And over the next few hours, they had this, this conversation. It began at 2. And by the time the sun was coming up that next morning, she was starting to feel better. She was starting to gain a sense of peace and, and maybe even a little sense of hope. And toward the end of their conversation, as the sun was coming up, she said to him, she said, you know, I really appreciate what you've done for me tonight. She said, aren't you supposed to give me a, a couple of Bible verses or something to read? She said, I, I'd be okay with that. I'd be fine with that. I'd love to read the Bible passages that you were to, to give me. And then, and then he just kind of laughed when she said that. And then she said, you know, you're really good at this. How, how long have you been a Christian counselor? There was a long pause on the other end of the line. And then he said, Auburn, uh, please don't hang up on me. He said, I've been trying to figure out how to tell you this for the, for the last little bit. But he said, you must have called the wrong number. Because I'm not a Christian counselor. And she never got his name. And she never called him back. But she thanked him. And at that moment, she began to feel some comfort and hope. She began to experience what, what we would describe this peace that passes all understanding. And you know, her life was different from that point forward. She, she went back to church. She got out of the abusive relationship. She raised her son. Her son eventually graduated from Princeton University. She dealt with her addiction. Her life was different. She began to cultivate again her passion for writing. And it all began because of a conversation. Now, I'm not, not so naive to think that every conversation ends like that one. I know a lot of conversations and a lot of people don't change and don't experience the transformation that Auburn was able to experience. But I'll tell you what, some do. And here's the exciting thing. You and I can be used by God to have conversations with people, life-changing conversations. And if you've ever had one of those, if you've ever experienced that, you know as well as I that life doesn't get any better than that. God is looking for some people who will show empathy, who will listen, who will hear, who won't judge, who will be there with people, who will offer some loving biblical guidance and biblical counsel, and from time to time, people hear the message and people's lives are changed. Now, we're involved in this series called Life-Changing Conversations with Jesus. 
And we're watching as Jesus interacts with men and women all through the, the New Testament. And we're listening to him and watching as he has these interesting conversations. But really what we're, what we're striving to do is ask the question, what can we learn from Jesus about having meaningful, spiritual conversations with others? Because here's what I know about you this week. This week, God is going to put someone in front of you who needs you to listen. God is going to put, put someone in your path who needs biblical counsel, who needs someone just to be there for them, and we can learn so much from Jesus if we'll pay attention to him in the Gospels. And so this morning, this brings us to John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open to that passage. This morning, Jesus is in Jerusalem during one of the festivals, and thousands of people have come for this festival. Jesus is near the what's called the Sheep Gate. I'm told that's near the northeast corner of the city. There's a, a pool there called Bethesda. And Bethesda in Hebrew means house of kindness or house of mercy. And all kinds of people are there. All sorts of people needing mercy, needing kindness have gathered there. While there are hundreds of people there normally, this is a festival week. And so as a result, there are thousands of people who are there by this, this pool and the people there had this certain understanding. They thought when the pool begins to move, when the waters begin to stir, the first person in the water, well, that person would be healed. They thought the water had some sort of mysterious healing power. Now, undoubtedly, there was a spring that fed into the water that, that caused it to move and gurgle. But you can just imagine this sense that when the water began to move, thousands of people around, they began all trying to get into the water first. Because if they could just get in the water first, then maybe they would experience healing. Take a look around the pool today. What, what, what do you see? We see many people. We see some folks who are blind. And as they edge their way close to the pool, they're making sure that they don't inadvertently slip into the pool. We look around and we see some people who are lame, people who weren't able to walk or move. Their, their arms and legs are shriveled from disuse. We look around and we see all sorts of things. We see canes and cots and mats. If we smell, we smell healing ointment that's, that's in the air. Everywhere we looked, we see people in need of mercy. We see this place is packed with hurting, helpless, and all too many times, hopeless people. In contrast to the vast crowds that we learn about in verse 3 in verse 5 we learn of the one and we don't know the one's name we do know that he's been paralyzed for 38 years can you imagine that there's this mat and he's on the mat he's been on that mat for 38 long years we don't know if if he was born that way, or maybe he was involved in some sort of accident, some sort of tragic moment in his life, but for some reason, now he's not able to move, and he's on this mat. He can't run or walk. Just imagine what it would be like to be lying on this mat by the pool, looking at the crowds. Imagine life from his perspective. Every day, someone helps him to get there. He feels so incredibly helpless. Year after year, he comes there. Things never change. 
things are never different. And he feels hopeless. I'm wondering if there's some people in this room right now who might be, in a sense, on a mat. And maybe you're on the mat of shame, or perhaps you're on the mat of discouragement, or maybe you're on the mat of disillusionment, or maybe you're on the mat of addiction, or on the mat of brokenness. And quite honestly, when you're looking at life from your perspective, from the mat, you can't imagine life any different. You've lost this sense of hope. You've been lying there so long you can't imagine anything different. But I like verse 6. Because here's what verse 6 says. It says, when Jesus saw him. We're reading through John chapter 5, but if we're not careful, we just look over that verse. It's just a simple little statement. When Jesus saw him. It's not that Jesus sees the crowds. Jesus looks at this one person. Friends, this is the gospel that we need to understand. Jesus sees us. He sees and cares for the one person. We see that all through the gospel of John and really all of the gospels. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus sees and looks at this one man by the name of Nicodemus. In John 3, he looks at this man who is involved in, in religious legalism. And he knew that there was something more, something different, something better. That, that legalism doesn't offer life and hope. And in John chapter 4, Jesus sees this one. Jesus sees this woman. We don't even know her name. This woman who's there by a water well, and Jesus comes up to her and has this conversation with her that we'll talk about in just a moment, and he looks at her, and she has had five husbands, and now she's living with this man. This is a woman who's immoral. She's involved in, in license. Jesus looks at, at both of these. He looks at this, this religious leader, this tight, buttoned-up Pharisee, this guy who knew all the right answers, did all the right things. He looks at him, there's no life. He looks at this woman who is immoral, who's involved in, in license, from legalism to license. He realized that's not where life is found. Jesus looked at both of them. And friends, here's the good news. Jesus looks at you. He doesn't just look at our crowd today. He just doesn't look at our church. He just doesn't look at us in mass. No, he looks, he looks at you. He looks and he knows what you're struggling with. He knows your secret sin. He knows what creates doubts within you. He, he knows all the questions that you're dealing with. He knows about your relational issues. He knows about the marriage that you're in, that you've struggled in for the last few years. He, he knows and he looks at you and he cares for you. He, he sees you. One of the things that we learn from Jesus about having spiritual conversations is we must learn, I'm convinced, we must learn to see people in a different way. Uh, we're so busy and hurried and rushed, we don't take the time to really, to really see people. I'll just give you an example of this yesterday. So we'd gone to Publix, and, and honestly, I was feeling a little bit stressed and hurried because our good friends were coming over to our house. And so you know how it is when good friends are coming over to your house. You want your house to look nicer than normal, right? You want your house to be just right. And so we had a bunch of things to do. And, and so we'd gone to Publix to get some things for the weekend. And as we're coming back, we see this, this older man. And he's just kind of walking, he's kind of toddling with a little bag of, of stuff. And I've got to get to the house because we, got, we have guests coming over. And so I need to, I need to get there quickly. And, and Janice says, well, I wonder if he needs a ride. I say, I, I, don't, I don't think he does. Let's get. And she, no, no, I think, because see, she's much better than me. I mean, I get to stand here and talk, but she's, 
far better than I am. Can I get an amen over there from the amen corner, Janet? Can you say amen? What is the thing for amen? What's the hand thing? Okay, All right, amen. And so, so we roll the window down, and Janice says, sir, can we help you? And he said, yeah, he said, I'm, I'm heading back to the home. He lived right down the street from Publix, and he had a little, grocery, little bag with him, and he said, I've gone to get some candy. And I helped him get in the back seat of the car, and we drove to this home where he lives. And we just began talking to him. And I said, so uh, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Cleveland. I'm thinking Ohio, no, Cleveland, Tennessee. And I said, well, how did you get here? Did you know somebody here? Why, why are you here? He said, I don't know. They just loaded me up and dropped me off at this home. I mean, it was kind of cra crazy what he said. But I'm looking at him, and we're having this conversation. And I'm thinking to myself, I was so busy, and I was so hurried. Here's a man who's got a real need. He just needed someone to take just a little time with him. I mean, I shudder to think if we'd passed on by, he needed someone to help him get down to this place where he lives. Jesus, as we learn from Jesus about how to have spiritual conversations with people, we don't just look at crowds. Oh, no, we look at individuals. We begin to see people in a different way. It reminds me of a story. It was one of Jesus' most famous stories. You know the story. It's not in John, but it's found in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's the story we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know, as Jesus tells this story, here's this, this man. He was on his way down from, from Jerusalem over to Jericho. And while he's on this trip, he is beaten and robbed. And there he is lying by the side of the road. He is bloody. He's, he looks like he's dead. And these two very religious people, the very people we think would take a lot of time with him, these two very religious people, the priest and the Levite, they come walking by, and man, they make sure, they see him from a distance. But they make sure they make a wide berth, because after all, he's, he's probably dead. After all, if I touch him, I'll be religiously unclean. I've got things to do back at the temple. I've got a lot of religious duties to perform. I'm busy. But I love when this person, the Samaritan, comes along, the one we don't expect to show some concern for this man. I love, we'll put that verse up on the screen. I love what it says about the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Here's the thing. When we, notice, came to where the man was, when we come to where he is, when we get close to people, we begin to see differently. We begin to understand some things. And here's what happens. When we get close to these folks, when we get close to someone who's struggling, who's going through a difficulty, when we get close to them, then the thing that happens, our hearts, are, are well, we well up with, with compassion and love, and we can't help but do something. We learn so much from Jesus. The closer we get to people, I'm convinced... the more we see and truly understand and begin to care. And so in John chapter 5, here's Jesus, and Jesus sees this man who's just sitting there by the pool, man been there for 38, been uh, disabled for 38 years, and what does Jesus do? Jesus comes up to him and he asks a question. Jesus in the Gospels, he's constantly asking questions. Have you noticed this? He's constantly asking these very interesting, pointed, deep 
questions. Now, oftentimes, when we want to have interaction with people on a spiritual level, if we're not careful, we think we need to instruct or teach or tell, and sometimes we need to do that. There's a moment for teaching. But friends, I'm convinced of this. If we're going to have a spiritual impact, we must learn to listen and ask good questions. And we learned this from Jesus. Because all through Jesus' ministry, he's asking questions. And Jesus is not, is not afraid to ask hard questions. Oftentimes, we stay on the periphery. We stay on the edges. We're not willing to go just a little bit deeper by asking a pointed question or two. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus looks at Nicodemus, this, as we said a moment ago, this famous teacher, and he says, you're Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Nicodemus, you, you, you're well known. Everybody knows who Nicodemus is. This is Dr. Nicodemus. And yet you don't understand these basic things that, that I'm talking about? Or how about in the very next chapter, in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets this woman at the well, and he just asks her just a simple little question, he says, can I, can I meet your husband? Oh, oh I, don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus does not leave it there. Jesus says, I, I know, you've had five husbands. And this man that you're living with right now, he, he, you're not even married to him. Now, we might look at that and say, well, is Jesus being rude? Why is he doing that? Jesus is having these wonderful questions with people, sometimes hard questions, so that he might be able to help them understand something about life. He wants to have spiritual conversations with people so that they might find what it really means to, li to, have, to have life. And so here we are in John chapter 5, and Jesus asks a question designed to do the very same thing. Thing. Jesus looks at this man who's been unable to walk for 38 years. He's lying by the mat, and Jesus comes up to him, and he says, do you want to get well? And we hear that question, we go, well, Jesus, that doesn't sound, I mean, we wouldn't, wouldn't say this in, in, in polite company. We wouldn't say this out loud. Jesus, I don't think that's a very good question. He's been on the mat for 38 years. Just look at his legs. He can't walk. Do you want to get well? What kind of a question is that, Jesus? Yet I've been in ministry long enough to know not everybody wants to get well. Because here's the thing. Sometimes it's easier to lie on the mat and have other people feel sorry for you. You see, if this man were to get up from that mat, it would require him to take some responsibility. If this man were to get up from the mat, life for him would change. And we think, well, it would all be good, wouldn't it? I mean, change is good. Change is hard, even when it's good change. And so I've, I've been in ministry long enough to see a lot of people come, and it seems like they want to get well and yet I'm not really sure they do. Maybe, maybe the accent should be on the word want. Do you want to get well? Is that what you really want? 
I've worked with couples who are struggling in a marriage and you, you meet with them and pray with them and you give them four books to read, you recommend two seminars, they go through everything and at the end of the day you think, I don't know that they want to get well. I think they like the dysfunction. I think they like the arguing. I think they like how they interact with one another. There are people who come by our offices all the time and, and we'll help them in so many ways. You know, they'll come and say, D -d -d is this the church that helps people? And as a preacher, I say, oh, you better believe it. Man, that's what we're about. You've come to the right place because we are a church that wants to help people. And so we find out they need some food. We give them some food. We counsel with them. We talk with them. We pray with them. Then I always have a conversation. I will say, you know what? If you, if you would come, now, we're not helping you so you'll come to church, but understand, you need to be at church because you're going to meet some good people. You're going to make some contacts. You're going to see some folks who are going to help you on, on, on so many levels. Oh, church is a great, best people in the world are at church. I realize we, we have a lot of broken people at church too, not perfect people, but nonetheless, it's a great place. And after having a conversation, I walk away thinking, I, I, I just, I don't really think, don't really think they want to get well. It can be discouraging. I've worked with people who are in addiction, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I know it's hard. Now, I could, some people are in this room right now who've, who've gone through and, and are in various stages of recovery. And if, if they were to stand up front here and, and speak to you, they would talk about how hard it is. But I do know sometimes the pleasure of the drug overrides the pain of getting clean. And there's some people who might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would really wish my life would be different. And I walk away thinking, I'm not sure they really want to get well and so jesus asks this question which i'm telling you is a great question and jesus says Do you want to get well and notice how this man responds he does not look at jesus and, and a smile comes over his face and say oh yes oh you oh of course i want to get well. is there anything you can do i couldn't get in the water but maybe from tomorrow you could come with me and when that water starts to move maybe you could sort of help me get into the water and i could get well. i would love to get well you might think that's what the man would say but it's fascinating to me that's not what he says notice what the man says he says sir i have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred while i'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me what's he doing he's doing what we often do he's blaming someone else and so sometimes we're on the mat and Jesus says, do you want to get well? And our first response is to blame something. You don't, you don't understand my first marriage. You don't understand how, you don't understand my dad. He, you don't understand my mom. She was abused. She never, and I'm not here to denigrate bad stuff that happened to us in the past. Because I'm looking around at a lot of people, myself included, where we've experienced some difficulty and hardship and bad things. But sometimes we choose to live in that instead of living into this future Jesus has for us. And friends, with the gospel, here's what it says. It says our history does not have to be our destiny. 
I stand, as I've told you before, in front of, of women who graduate from our new life recovery classes in, in prison, and all of them have, have gone through some kind of recovery program and, and addiction issues. And I always say to them, and Jimmy back there will, will vouch for this, I always will say, oh, I'm telling you, your past, it does not have to dictate your future. It can be different. Do you want to get well? And so here's what Jesus then says. Get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. I want us to think, first of all, will we, will we hear the words of Jesus? Will we listen to Jesus? Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It's not, will you listen to the world, or not even, will you listen to yourself? That's what we hear culturally these days. Oh, you've got you to listen to yourself. What's your heart saying? Just listen to you. Not, will we listen certainly to the evil one, because he would like nothing more than for us to stay right prone on that mat. Will you listen to Jesus? Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But not only will we listen, question is will we obey this see Jesus is asking us to do something will we be obedient Jesus is saying get up pick up your mat and walk pick up that mat pick up that thing that that where you used to lay and I want you to get moving get walking you've got a better future you've got something more than that mat I wonder if this man thought is Jesus mocking me I mean this man doesn't even know, doesn't even know who Jesus is is he thinking, he must be mocking me. Doesn't he know I've been like this 38 years? Doesn't he know I can't walk? And friends, I want you to know that, that there's a lot of things that aren't possible. But with Jesus, he opens up the possibilities. There are some things that are, are impossible. But with Jesus, he makes new possibilities open for us. And so here's what Jesus, I think, is saying to some of you today. Jesus might be saying to you this morning, I want you to get up and make the call, and you get to a marriage counselor. Let him work with you, and let him, let him help you through your marriage. He might be saying to you, get up and get with a, an older brother or sister. It's time for you to grow and mature. You've been hanging around church for the longest time. He might be saying to some of you, get up in just a moment and walk down front. It's time for you to publicly say, I love Jesus. I'm going to be baptized in Jesus' name. My sins will be washed away. I'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He might be saying to some of you, get up and get to the church regularly. It's, it's, you know, just come and hit and miss, kind of willy-nilly, whenever you kind of want to come. He's saying, he might be saying to you, get up and start, stop complaining, get here and help us make a difference in this community and in this world. I remember a time when I was on the mat, both physically and metaphorically. My wife had passed away in the fall that November. And suddenly I found myself in a place I'd never imagined being, raising these three little boys. That happened in November at the end of the school year. My boys were all at this Christian school, Albuquerque Christian School. And at the end of the school year, we had this big event, kind of a party, kind of a picnic. And we were out in the park right behind the school. And everybody had mats and, and blankets. 
And everybody was sitting on the mats and blankets and talking and laughing. And I'm sitting there with my boys. I'm looking around. I'm seeing all of these happy families. Seeing all of these moms and dads raising their kids, playing with their kids. I felt so incredibly alone and sad. I want you to know there is a time to grieve. There is a time to grieve. There's a time to be sad. Oh, there is. But I was grieving and feeling sad, and, and it was almost like I could hear Jesus say to me, Kevin, get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. You've got kids to raise. You've got work to do. You've got sermons to preach. You've got a testimony to give. You've got a future to live into. And so this morning, let's let Jesus ask all of us his question. Let's let him ask us, so do you want to get well? Do you? Get up. Pick up your mat. walk into that future God has for you. Today, if you're in this room and, and you've decided, I, I've been on the mat too long. I, I've laid there in my own helplessness. I've laid there in my own hopelessness. Maybe today is your day to respond. It doesn't have to be a public response. Maybe it could be, but it at least has to be a response that says, today I'm going to listen to Jesus and I'm going to do more than just listen to his words. I'm going to obey his words. I'm going to pick up my mat and today I'm going to get moving. I'm going to get walking. Today, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing this song of encouragement.